Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hello, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ and friends from wherever you're watching or listening to this session. Welcome to a new teaching session from the Word of God. I hope you had the blessed and wonderful week so far. And I hope that this message will be a real blessing to your heart and that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart in a meaningful and powerful way. Let's pray because before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your presence in this place, for the Holy Spirit. Father, we're here to study and to meditate on your word and to learn your word. And Father, we pray that as we do that, that you would grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing you, in knowing your will and your ways in a much deeper way. And Father, I pray that while we are doing that, that we will be able to experience your power and your presence at a level that we've never experienced before. I pray all that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Isn't God good? Is it the Father, God the Father is such a good God. He's full of love and mercy. And He has given us, His children, so much, so many good things. We begin today a new series called The New Creation. And I entitled this first session, The Spiritual Realm. And before I begin, I would like to mention one thing. Uh, that whenever I will be reading a Bible verse throughout this session and the sessions that will follow, I'll be using two major translations. One is New American Standard Bible, which is a more literal translation, meaning that is uh, more faithful to the original text of the Bible. And the other translation I'm going to use is English Standard Version, which is a more interpreted translation, meaning that it's a little bit more faithful to the English language that we speak today. And that means that it's a little bit more understandable for us today. And I'll be using these two translations interchangeably because some of the verses are expressed in a more meaningful and uh, understandable way than the other in these, two, in these two translations. But you are welcome to use any translation that you have available or you are comfortable with and I also encourage you that whenever we read a verse let's read it together and wherever you are read in whatever translation you're using read the verse with your voice loud speak it with your mouth because when you do that the word of God enters into your mind into your heart and permeates your whole being takes root in you and gives you life builds you up in faith and that, that being said, let's, let's begin. And we'll start the session today with Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And here we see Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, praying fervently for the church in Ephesus and implicitly for all the body of the believers in Christ. He prays like this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Notice how, uh, what extraordinary words Apostle Paul uses here. Have you ever wondered, what is this inheritance? How can I take possession of it? I for one, if I know that, if I find out that today somebody left an inheritance for me, I would want to know what is it, what I'm exactly entitled to, and how can I take possession of it? Wouldn't you want to do that? And, I would, I would like to know of this inheritance, of this great power, is there anything that I can apply 
while I'm on earth here, while I live this life of a Christian on earth, or is something just reserved just for the future life? And we, we might tend to think when we look at these great words, extraordinary words, we might tend to think that this inheritance is something reserved only for the future life when we will be with God in the new heaven and a new earth. But think with me for a minute and put yourselves in Paul's shoes. He was a human being like you and me. And if this inheritance and this great power were, were to be reserved only for the future life, think about this. Would these words, would this prayer make it to your day-to-day -day prayer life list? I, for one, I know that it wouldn't make it to my list. It would be like I would have to pray for all the other people to see something like a an extraordinary inheritance, a surpassing greatness of, of his power. It seems like Paul see, saw something, he perceived something that he wanted and experienced something that he wanted all the other believers, all the other people to experience. It was something good. And, on, and not, not only that, but notice that he says that this inheritance God has placed in the saints. Now think about this. Why would God would place such a great inheritance in us and, uh, uh, and, and not have anything to do with this life? It would be like, hey guys, take this inheritance, carry it in you for a while, but you are not allowed to touch it until you get into heaven. It doesn't make sense. So this great inheritance, there's something for us when God says great, I mean, when humans say, say great, uh, riches, glory, surpassing, these words are extraordinary. But uh, think about when God says that. So that's such exciting. That's such a hope. That's such a, that there is something in this, in this inheritance. And not only that, and Paul talks about these things, not only there, but in other epistles. And in Romans 8, 16 and 17, he says this. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ, if you want. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Imagine yourself, imagine if someone would tell you that you are an heir of Bill Gates or whatever wealthy pe uh, persons you know in this world. What does it mean to be an heir of Bill Gates or a, a, a very wealthy man? It means that everything that that man has, you have access to, you can use, you, you are entitled to. Here it says that we are heirs of God himself. That means that everything that God is, everything that God has, he has given to us, to his children. That's so exciting. And these things, this is what we are trying to unfold in this series. And this, this is where we're heading. And understanding these things will have a tremendous impact in our whole spiritual life, in the way we pray, in the way we worship to God, in the way we read and meditate the Bible to the Word of God, in the way we see, interpret various issues of life. Uh, and But in order to understand all these things, we have to take a few steps back and we have to understand first, what does exactly happen and what does it change when a person is, is born again and receives Christ in their hearts? Because the Bible says that that's the moment when a person receives this great inheritance and becomes an heir of God when we are born again. But then to understand what happens when we are born again, we have to understand 
How are we born in, in what state are we born in this world? And what happened at the moment of creation when the first man, Adam, fell from grace, from a, a state of righteousness, fell into sin. And understanding what changes took place when he, uh, when he transitioned from life to death will help us by analogy understand what happens when we, when we move, when we pass out of death into life, when we are born again. And not only that, even before to understand what happened with Adam, we'll have to understand how was the first man created and what is the human being made of, what is constituted of. And, and to understand that, we have to understand who created the human being and how is God who created all humans? What is the nature of his spirit? So today I'll try to lay some foundational concepts about the spiritual realm in general, how it operates, how it functions, about the nature of God's spirit, about the nature of the human spirit. And all these things will help us build concept by concept and understand the deeper things of God. Are you ready? Are you ready to dig in? Let's do that. So uh, I said we will start with God himself even before the creation. And we, we see in John 4.24 that the Bible says that God is spirit. God the Father is a spirit. He is spirit. And read with me John 4.24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But then we see Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, about whom the Bible says that they are also fully God. They are the, the other two persons of the Godhead. And since they are true, fully God and God is a spirit, that means both of them, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they are both spirits too. And this is, uh, this is important. You will see later why I'm stressing this fact and how I'll use this to build, to, to understand new concepts and new things. And then we move on to Satan, to Lucifer. When God created Lucifer, he created him as a spirit. And we see that he also had the spiritual body. He, had, he was clothed in precious stones. He was the worship leader in the heavens uh, before he fell. And even today, we know that he continues to be a spirit, although he's an evil spirit, but he's still a spirit, and the angels and the demons. And finally, we arrive to Adam, the first man that God created. And the Bible says that God created man in his own image and likeness. And we see that in Genesis 1.27, if you could read with me together. God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God is a spirit and he created uh, Adam, a human being, in the image of God. That means first and foremost, the Adam, the first man, is a spirit. He is more than that, but he is a spirit. And then we see in Genesis 2-7 that God also formed the physical body for Adam from the dust of the earth. And it says this, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So uh, God formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed his spirit into him. And because the Bible says that man is in the image of God, that means man is first and foremost a spirit. And that, this is the first thing that I want us to learn today, that every person, every human being, especially created by God is a spirit. Amen. But then I want to ask you something. Uh, I want to ask you something now. You as a person, as a spirit, do you consider yourself to be real? 
Think about this. Are you real? Do you really exist? Or are you a symbol, a theory, a metaphor or something, a metaphysical thing? Of course, you will say you are real. I, I consider myself to be real because I'm speaking to you. I'm aware of myself and I know I'm something real, right? And when I talk about real, I mean a vital substance. I mean an essence, not something symbolic, something that exists, something that is alive. That is what real, think about the wind, for instance. You cannot see the wind with your eyes, with your human eyes, but the wind is real and has a substance. Why, how do I know that? Because when it blows, when you see those storms and the, the, those powerful, strong winds, you feel their effects. So the, the wind, although I don't see it, it's real. That's kind of the same thing with the spirit world, with the spirit, with, uh, with us who are a spirit, and not only with us, but with God himself. What would you say about God? Is God a real person or is a metaphysical thing? I know a lot of people, they think God is an idea, but God is not an idea. God is a person and God is real as you and me. And also every, so that's, that's the second point. That leads us to the second thing that I want us to learn that every spirit is a real person and has a nature. What do I mean by nature? I mean that every person has certain abilities, certain way of thinking, certain way of being, certain way of acting, of talking, and that's nature. God himself has a nature. Lucifer and Satan had a nature and now he has a different nature after the fall. Adam, the first man, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and finally Adam, they were all real and they all had a nature. God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they all three share the same essence, the same nature, and they are co-equal and co-eternal in that regard. But Adam was created with the nature, and since he was created in the image of God, he was created with the same nature as God. And that nature is in the spirit, the spirit as a nature. And you hear me keep talking about nature, 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 and you may wonder, what is this nature made of? What is, What does it mean? And that leads us to the third point, to the third thing that I want us to learn, that the nature of a spirit can only be life and death. And when I say life and death, I mean spiritual life and spiritual death, which is a little bit more than the, the way we understand physical life and physical death. When we think about life, we think uh, mostly about existence here on earth. And when we think about death, we think about the cessation of life, annihilation, because when a person dies, usually we are ready to go to a funeral because we know they will be buried and they will not be among us for any, any longer. But when we talk about spiritual death, a spiritual life, we are talking about a nature of a spirit. We are talking about a dimension. We are talking about a realm of living, a way of living. Our God is a God of no middle grounds. With God, there is no mixing. With God, there is no confusion, no... Um, um, no partial things. You will notice about God when you read in the Bible that God is a God of eternal absolutes. And what I mean by that is that when he looks at people, at the human beings, he sees them either guilty or justified, either dead or alive, sin or righteousness, death or life, darkness or light. And we can see that in the, uh, I prepared four passages, biblical passages, where we can see that very clearly. Uh, so I encourage you to read with me from Ephesians 2 verse 5, where it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved. Notice uh, this verse, it says, dead in our trespasses and then made alive. And the next verse is Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, darkness and light. And then we move on to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Again, we see here death and life. And the last verse here is John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, says Jesus, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Again, death into life. And here I will go a little bit ahead of myself, and I will ask you, do you notice in these four passages uh, that, that whoever is in Christ and is born again is life, and whoever is not is death? There is no mixing together of these two natures. You're either death in death or in life. Amen. Uh, and um, I, next, I want us to see, next I want us to see what is spiritual life. This is the next logical question. What is spiritual life and what is spiritual death? And um, before I do that, before I explain what is spiritual life, I explained a little bit in the beginning, but I will continue to give you more detail. Let's see first that God the Father and God the Son, who is also the Word, and the Holy Spirit, all the, all the persons of the Godhead, they all have spiritual eternal life in themselves. And their nature is spiritual life. And we can see that about the God the Father in John 5.26. It says this, for just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son to have life in Himself. So God the Father has life in Himself, and He gave that life to the Son to have the same life in Himself. We move on and we see that also the Son, uh, we, saw, we saw it in this verse, but we see it even more when it talks about the Word in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. It reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, meaning through the Word, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 4. In Him was life, meaning in the Word, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Praise the Lord. Darkness will never overcome or comprehend light. When light presents itself in the room, darkness has to flee. These two things cannot coexist together. It's either light or darkness, life or death. And we move on and we see that the Holy Spirit has the same nature of life. We see that in John 6, 63, if you want to read with me. It is the Spirit who gives life. Hallelujah. I love this verse. It's Jesus speaking here. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
spirit and life. And Romans 8, 2 says this, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Again, we see the spirit of life. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever noticed while you were reading your Bible, your epistles, the New Testament, this theme, this pattern of, of life? One of the main purposes of Jesus coming on the earth, besides all the other powerful and extraordinary things that Jesus accomplished at the cross, one of the main purposes was that he would bring this life and would give this life that the Godhead had, that Jesus had, put it in us again, give it to us and share it with us. And that in abundance, says the Bible in John 10, 10, he, Jesus says, the teeth comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, says Jesus, came that they may have life, meaning the sheep, meaning the disciples and the believers in general. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Notice it doesn't say abundant life. It says life abundantly life in abundance the substance of life in abundance if you may uh, that doesn't mean that uh, uh, the life of uh, the um, life in abundance does not include abundant life which is prosperous blessed existence while we are here on the earth while here we are here on the earth but that's just a byproduct of life in abundance life in abundance spiritual life in abundance eternal life in abundance that's way more than just existence, a blessed existence. And we will see what is that much more. And I will, I will, uh, now we, I think we are ready to define what is eternal life. And I'll just say the definition, then I'll read the scripture from where I took that definition. Eternal life is the nature and the substance of God Himself from the realm of eternity. And we see that in John 17, verse 3. And but I'll, I'll read it again. Eternal life is the nature and the substance of God Himself from the realm of eternity. Now let's read John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So knowing God, this is eternal life. Uh, now think about your best friend or your spouse, your wife, your husband. When you know a person very well, isn't that right that you, uh, you begin to know what that person likes or what that person hates, what that person, uh, how that person speaks and talks, acts in certain situations, what are the, the abilities, what are the skills, the capacities, the, the attributes, the, the, the whole person, how that person behaves, thinks, speaks. And the same thing now, Think about your relationship with God. When you know God in that way, you know His nature, His abilities, His love, His power, His strength, His um, way, His ways, His will, His way of thinking, His way of speaking. And that, the Bible says, is eternal life. So if I were to conclude this, the eternal life is everything that God is and represents. And I prepared the list of things and attributes that uh, incorporate eternal life so that we can meditate and see how we can apply this in our lives and what does it mean. So eternal life is this, love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, holiness, righteousness, humility, clarity, integrity, honesty, truth, generosity, health, physical health, prosperity, wisdom, success, victory, power, and strength. So all these things God is, and the Bible says that He has given this life, this kind of nature He has put in the saints. Isn't that extraordinary? That means all these things. Would you need physical health in the heavens? No, you need physical health here. It's almost like this list applies more for the earth than for the future life. Of course, the future life will be way much more. We cannot even imagine how the life with God himself will be. But God has given us so much even while we are on this earth here. And this, uh, and this life that I'm talking about, as I said before, it's one of the nature of us that the spirit can have, but it's also a realm of being, a dimension of life, uh, a way of living. If I may say so, a, a spiritual address where you live. It's a way of living and thinking and speaking. Um, and uh, which um, and that life manifests it's supposed to manifest in our lives here on earth more and more in the glory of God to be revealed through us now let's see what is spiritual death by analogy if eternal life is that what we explained so far what is spiritual death we know again we go back to the creation and we know that when a spirit dies or enters the uh, the, the realm of death as happened uh, as it happened with Adam he gets that spirit gets separated from God, gets severed from from God, from whatever God is. So, if a spirit is separated from everything that God is, what do you think spiritual death means? It's very easy. Spiritual death is everything opposite to spiritual life. So it is everything that God is not. And I prepared again a list. Uh, with what spiritual death is, what does it mean? Hate, sadness, sorrow, depression, bitterness, distress, confusion, anger, rebellion, violence, wickedness, unfaithfulness, corruption, dishonesty, lies, immorality, impurity, sensuality, pride, lust, evil, failure, weakness, sinfulness, greed, physical sickness, disease, lack, curse, poverty, fear, imprudence, ignorance, idolatry, jealousy, drunkenness, and pardon me, strife. Doesn't this list resemble very much with the sinful flesh? Now I want you to think about this. Were, the, were all these things, did, um, did Adam experience all these things before or after the fall? I will tell you that he began experiencing these things, these things, only after the fall. Because once sin entered the world, all these effects of darkness, of death, came up with him, entered the world. And from the moment of the fall, Adam and the whole human race began to experience death, the effects of sin, the effects of death. And we began, we began to be subject to these things. 
before that, the first human being wasn't at all subject to these things. These things had no power over Adam. This is so interesting and so powerful to remember. And I'll pick this up later on. And one more thing at this point about life and death, about the nature of a spirit, is that a thing that is kind of obvious, and I also mentioned before, is that uh, be, be, uh, between these two nature of a spirit, natures of a spirit, life and death, there is a relation of subordination, where, and that relation is that life will always govern death and or dominate death, and light dissipates darkness. Always, life, life will be not more powerful. It annihilates death completely. They cannot coexist together. When life comes, death has to flee. When light comes, darkness flees. That's extraordinary. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise the Lord. He, he would, will, darkness will never overcome light, and death will never overcome life. Now, we humans operate more in the physical realm for now. So how can we detect life and death, the nature of a spirit. How can we perceive the nature of a spirit? And I, I'll tell you this, it is through an interface that every spirit possesses, and that interface is the soul. And that leads us to the fourth point of this session that I want us to study and learn today, that every, not only every person created by God is a spirit, and every spirit is a real person and has a nature, and that nature of a spirit can only be life and death, but every spirit has a medium of manifestation, and, uh, of, um, and that medium is the soul. The spirit is the core of the human being, is the heart of the human being. And the Bible talks about the heart, means the center of the human being. And that spirit is wrapped up in a soul. And we know from psychology that the soul is roughly made up of three things, the will, the emotions, and the reasons. Of, of course, it's a little bit more complex, but uh, that's kind of the, the uh, simple definition of the soul. But one, one important thing to remember here is that the spirit and the soul, although they have slightly different roles, they are inseparable. They cannot coexist without each other. Think about God. God, the Bible says that God is a spirit, but God, we know that God also is a person and has a will, has emotions, has reasons. So God is not just a spirit. He has also a soul, a spirit and a soul together. And when God creates a person, that person is automatically created with a soul too. So they, they cannot coexist together. Together, the spirit and the soul represents the spiritual part component of a human being beside the physical one. And that spiritual invisible part is made up of a soul and spirit and for the sake of uh, communication from uh, from here on i'll use this terminology that a person a person is a spirit a human being is a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body and um, depending on the nature depending on the nature of a spirit all the areas of the soul that i mentioned the will the reason the emotions and i will also say the beliefs the speech will manifest uh, either spiritual life or spiritual death, because that's what, what the nature of a spirit can be. And the mind and the beliefs in the mind are trained in time. Uh, and this is important to understand. They are trained in time from the moment you are born in this world. They are trained to follow automatically after the nature of the spirit. And then all the other, this is interesting, all the other aspects of the soul 
will begin to be heavily influenced by that training of the mind. It's like the mind trains after the spirit and then takes over. It's like controlling all the other, the will, the reason, the emotions, the speech, the mind, the mouth. Um, and the mind is the main channel through which the spirit expresses itself. And allow me to clarify it even more, uh, this, uh, this thing. And I will take a, little, a few minutes to explain something about the mind, which will be important later on to understand other concepts. We know from psychology that the human mind has roughly two levels. Two levels, a conscious one and the unconscious one. And in the unconscious part of the mind, which is also known as, which can include the, which includes the subconscious. Some people say that the unconscious part is one and the same with the subconscious. Other people divide it. But I'll keep it simple. The conscious uh, mind and the unconscious part of the mind. And the un in the unconscious part of the mind, there, there is stored the long-term memory, all the beliefs, the habits, good or bad, and maybe addictions we've built in time, all the experiences we've been through, recorded together with all the feelings, the colors, the sensations that accompany those experiences in time. And um, I don't know if you notice that sometimes you taste something or you smell something or you hear a sound and all of a sudden a whole experience from the past, which can be happy or sad, comes into your conscious mind and you it's kind of, it's like a, it's like it's kind of uh, you you almost relieve that experience completely as it was in the past with all the sensations with all the smells with all the sounds you begin to relieve that but before that that experience wasn't present in your conscious mind it was somewhere stored in the back of your mind in the unconscious part of your mind and why do i explain all these things because uh, the mind, which is part of the soul, and especially this part, unconscious part of the mind, functions in such a way that if the nature of the spirit, of a spirit changes instantly, the mind, the programming, the training of that unconscious mind accumulated on it until that point in time does not change instantly. And this is very important to remember. The spirit, the nature of a spirit changes instantly. When Adam fell from life into death, his spirit changed instantly, but his mind didn't. And the same when we, when we are born again from death to life, the spirit changes immediately, but the mind doesn't. That's why the Bible says, mentions that, uh, um, that renewal process that we have to go through. That's why it takes time that the mind doesn't change immediately. It changes in time and with a conscious intentional effort. It takes time to, for the mind to catch up what has happened in the, of uh, the spirit level. And the mind can free or limit the manifestation of a nature of a spirit through the soul, meaning emotions, reasons, reasons, reason, will, or through the physical body, if that spirit has one. And in fact, not all spirits have a physical body. And, uh, and that uh, moves us to the next thing that uh, we will learn today, that a spirit may or may not live in a body. For a spirit to exist... It doesn't need a physical body necessarily. And um, if a spirit dwells in a body for a period of time, that body can be a physical body or a spiritual body. We know, from, for instance, uh, uh, Jesus had a purely physical body before his death. And after his resurrection, he had a spiritual body, which, uh, which was a little bit different, but still was a body who, who, 
which could be seen, which could be uh, could be touched, and uh, could eat, speak. Uh, so the spirit can live in a body, but then it can live also outside the body. And we know when our physical bodies die, our spirits with the souls continue to live, either in the presence of God or in uh, Sheol, in the in the, in um, with the devil, in um, not in hell, in the place of the dead. Um, and ultimately in the hell. So as you can see, the physicality of, of, a, of a spirit is not primordial here. And it, it is the spirit. Why, why is that? Because it's the spirit who governs the matter and the physical world and not the other way around. We are so accustomed with the physical world and we think in terms of physics, of matter, of things that we can touch, things that, empirical things. But, and we, we tend to think that the physical world, this is real, and the spiritual world is more uh, the level of an idea, of metaphysics, but it's, it's completely opposite. The spiritual world is the one that governs the physical world and uh, controls and dominates the physical world, if you want. And this is the last thing that uh, the last point of this session, and which is uh, and is the most exciting one, where we talk about uh, the spirit governing the matter, the physical world. And how do we know that? Where do we know that from? Uh, let's go back again to the creation when God created the world and everything we see in it. He created the world. He created the mountains, the the fields, the sun, the moon, the people, uh, animals, vegetables, trees. How did he create them? He created them with words, but he was a spirit. So from the spirit world, he created the physical world. That means the physical world is dominated by the spiritual world. It's less powerful. The spirit is more powerful than the matter and the spirit realm governs the matter. The supernatural realm governs the natural realm. And if we go on that line of thinking, we can also say that the invisible governs the visible and eternity governs time. And the main realm of operation, operations for spirits today is the heavenly places that the epistle of Ephesians describes um, in so many passages in Ephesians. And those heavenly places govern the earthly physical realm. Now, I want us to learn and study and see what are those heavenly places. Because we might tend to think when we read Ephesians that the heavenly places are the heaven of God, the third heaven, where God has his throne, as Paul mentions the, about the third heaven. But we will see in a, in, the, uh, in a few minutes that the heavenly places are a little bit different. And it's... It's different from the heaven of God, from the third heaven. Let's read the first scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23 about Christ. It says this, Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, Christ, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, under Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice that Christ's body is made up of Jesus who is the head and the church who is the body. Now, when we read verse 22, it says that God put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. 
And if the church is the body of Christ, is the feet of Christ, that means that God put all things, all things under the church's feet, under the believer's feet, under your feet and my feet. And not only that, but we are with Christ. And the next passage, Ephesians 2, 6 says that not only Christ is seated, positioned, no, the right hand of God, but he raised us up, us up with him and seated us, positioned us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, this... Uh, uh, seating is not a geographical seating for us. Christ, yes, may he may uh, sit down right now, the right hand of the Father in the heaven of God. But this uh, seating that these passages are talking about is a rank, a position. Christ has the highest rank, the highest authority as the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. So we see in these two passages that Christ, Jesus, is both in the heaven of God where the God has his throne and in the heavenly places, as we saw. And we are in Christ positioned both on the earth, physical, ge uh, geographically, but as a sphere of authority and operation, we are also in the heavenly places. We are the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And we will see what that means. Uh, and... Uh, Interestingly enough, if we look at Ephesians 6.12, we see that also the devil and the spiritual weak, uh, forces of wickedness are also in the heavenly places. And we read that in Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, think with me. We know from the Bible that the devil, here it says that the devil is in the heavenly places, but we know that the devil and the spiritual forces of wickedness don't live in the heaven of God, where God has his throne, because the devil was thrown out of heaven on the earth after he fell. And we read that in Ezekiel 28 verse 17. Read with me. Your heart, uh, God talks about the devil, the, about Lucifer. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. He cast the devil to the ground. Isaiah 14, 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You, have been, you, you who have weakened the nations. And finally, we see Jesus in Luke 10, 18, saying to the disciples, and he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So Satan has no place in the heaven of God like he used to have in Job, in the book of Job. That's where Satan had access to the throne of God with the authority of Adam, which he wanted the fall. But after Jesus Christ died on the cross, Satan does not have access to the heaven of God anymore. He doesn't have any authority. So he, he geographically speaking, he is operating on the earth but the Bible says that he's also on the, in the heavenly places. So now, on one hand, we see the devil, his place is on the earth. He was thrown, uh, thrown to the earth, cut down to the ground, but he's also in the heavenly places. That means, and also, we, then on the other hand, we see, but first, uh, the devil, the, the earth, and the heavenly places share a common space because the devil is in both spheres. 
in, on the earth and in the heavenly places. Then on the other hand, we see Jesus Christ in the heaven of God, in the third heaven, at the right hand of the Father. He is located there, but also in the heavenly places. That means the heaven of God also shares, if you look at the picture that I put on the, on the video, that means the heaven of God, the third heaven, the heaven of, the, of God's throne, shares a com, a, again a common space with the heavenly places. And then finally, there is us. And we are geographically positioned on the earth, but we are also in the heavenly places. And we have Christ's authority and power in that realm. Saying all this, based on all these statements, it, seem like, it seems like the heavenly places, it's uh, all the spiritual invisible realm around us that incorporates the heaven of God, the earth, and the universe, and everything. It's the spiritual invisible realm all around us. That's a game changer. That changes things. That means in that realm, in the invisible realm, our authority, our power is the highest in Christ Jesus. It's higher than the devil. It's higher than the physical world. It's higher than the natural world. And from our spirits, with the Holy Spirit and in Christ, from that position, we can affect, we can manifest, we can change things in the natural world. The, uh, the, the hierarchy of authority and power after the cross, after Christ's death is the following. Before it was God, of course, God is the overarching, uh, overarching authority, then the devil, and then the rest of the world. That's, that is what was happening in Job's book in the Old Testament. After the cross, the hierarchy has changed dramatically. The first authority is Jesus Christ and the church on the same place. Then the second place is the devil with all his demons, his demons and everything. And on the third level are all the other people that are not born again. So our authority in Christ, our rank, if I may, in the spiritual invisible realm is the highest in the universe. It's far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, all every name that can be named in this age, and not only this age, but the ages to come. Do you realize how powerful this is? When you, when you find out this, that changes your life. It changes everything you are, the way you think, the way you behave. The, that's why the Paul so many times says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, you know, in a manner worthy of a son of God. I always like to say that the Christian, I am the son of God, or you are a son or a daughter of God, the devil's master and people's servant. The fact that we are kings, we, are, we have authority, doesn't mean that we rule over the people, but we... We serve people, we love people, we represent God to people, the God of love, the God of mercy. But we are to destroy the works of darkness. First John 3.18 says that the Son of God is manifest through us to destroy the works of darkness. All those effects of death that we just read in this session, we are supposed to destroy them by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to govern this world from the spiritual world. We are supposed to pray and change things from the spiritual world. And think about this. You know that the devil interferes with our physical world and he changes things, influences things, moves people, attacks, makes schemes, plans. Now, him with a limited authority has that power. How much more we as Christians have power and authority over him and have power to influence the physical and natural world. Uh, 
The devil has now he is left only with some power, with some ability, but no authority whatsoever. There he does no does not have any legal authority in this world above Christians. Think about when a thief comes into your house and breaks into your house, he does not he has ability to do that. He has some power to do that, but he does not have any legal authority to be there. So if you find him in your house, you'll call the police or you'll try to cast him out of your house because he doesn't have authority. And the same happens with the devil. The devil tries to take advantage of us Christians, try to keep, tries to keep us at the same level as all the other people because our minds are not renewed and we don't realize what happened with us. He tries to keep us and tries to to deceive us, to lie to us and keep us in bondage. But the moment you find out that you have authority to tread upon substance. Luke 10, 19, you have, Jesus Christ has given us authority to tread upon serpents, upon scorpions, and upon, upon all the power of the enemy. And he says, nothing shall hurt us by any means. We have all the authority of Christ, all authority in heaven, on earth, and under earth. That's so exciting. Father, we thank you so much for, for, um, for such a great privilege and opportunity, Father, such a high calling to be called in the fellowship of your Son. Father, I thank you. So we, we learned in this session, I will summarize it a little bit. We learned that so far that we are spirits created by God who have a soul and live in a physical body. And our spirits are the real us and they have a nature that, that can be either life or death. And when we are born in this world, the nature of our spirits is death or sin or darkness. They are one and the same thing. They are natures. Death, sin, darkness, they are natures. Because of the sin and the legacy of the first Adam, though through whom death entered into this world. And we talked about that. So in other words, we are born sinners. Even without uh, ever doing anything wrong or good. A baby, an infant, he is a sinner. When he comes into this world, he has a sin nature. He has already a sinful flesh. He has that evil principle already in him and has a law of sin. And we, have a, we are born with the law of sin and death. Romans talked about that is working death through our spirits, towards our souls, our bodies, and towards outside world. And our souls, our will, our emotions, our speech, our mind, our beliefs, become all trained in time to manifest death, meaning everything that God is not. And although we are still capable of doing good things and deeds, because we still have a conscience, we still have the knowledge of the good and evil. Remember, Adam ate from the tree of the good, of the knowledge of the good and evil. So we still are aware of good and evil. Still the consistent pattern of our behavior will, is death. So our bodies, when we are born into this world, are subject to physical sickness, to disease, to weakness, and ultimately to physical death. So the consistent pattern of our worlds, if, uh, where we revolve around, are ups and downs, and probably more downs. And we are subject anytime to lack in finances, in, to failure at our job or our school, dissensions in relationships with tensions with friends, co-workers sickness in our bodies and in our children maybe, arguments and strife in marriage. But praise God, I say as Paul said in Romans, praise God that all these things change. 
after we become born again. There are no more ups and downs for the Christian. The Christian is supposed to move only forward and upward. But unless we renew our mind, we will still experience ups and downs. So that's why when you hear somebody saying that or songs Say, saying that, proclaiming that. That is not true. It's a level of revelation. I'm not, I'm not condemning. But uh, the truth is way more than that. There is, there is more than that. And uh, after we are born again, the nature of our spirits become life in Christ and receive the highest authority and power in the invisible realm. Spiritual realm called the heavenly places. And if the devil, I say again, can affect the visible from the invisible and the natural world from the supernatural one, all the more we can do that and way much more as we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit of life and the most powerful Spirit in the universe. Praise the Lord. The most powerful Spirit in the universe is in us, lives in us, dwells in us, is with us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Whenever I talk this, it's life to me. It's, do you feel that faith, that life? The, do you feel your spirit built up in faith? The, uh, that confidence rising up in you as a son of God. Uh, and now I would like to, to encourage you to learn with you, to memorize with me two verses from this session. Probably in each session we'll memorize two other verses from, from that particular session. I have this habit, good habit, to do that with my wife every day we we memorize free verses and I we even have an app that I could recommend it to you it's called remember me and it's available on the iOS platform Apple platform and Android and it's a very useful app because you can put your own verses there and we have a list of almost 300 verses about the identity in Christ, about what Christ has done. And we take those verses and they come up like a, after a certain interval, a period of time that you said, they come up again and again. And we don't try necessarily to remember word by word, but to memorize the idea and then think about it, meditate upon it. And then we pray about it together about and we try to personalize it apply it and that's the mind renewal process that's how the mind that unconscious part of the mind uh, gets renewed so this is what i'm going to do here too and i i picked up these two verses ephesians 5 8 and john 10 10 and we'll read them first and then we'll personalize it at uh, the first person singular let's read ephesians 5 8 for you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now let's personalize it. For I was formerly darkness, but now I am light in the Lord. So I walk as a child of the light. I walk as a son or daughter of the light. John 10.10 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And now first person. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus Christ came that I may have life and have it 
abundantly. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, so much. Thank you that although we were darkness and you could have left us to die in hell, you could have left us uh, separated from you for, forever, for eternity. Father, you found a way because of your love, because of your mercy. You sent Jesus Christ to die for our sin. And from darkness, Father, we received the honor to become light again. And, to, and Father, I pray that you would help us by the Holy Spirit to walk in a manner worthy as children of light. And Father, I thank you that through Jesus Christ, we receive life in abundance. And right now we have life in our spirits in abundance. We have everything, Father, because of you, because of your love. We thank you, Father, so much. We are eternally grateful for that. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. And now I would like to, uh, to say something to our friends that may be watching or listening to this session. If you listen to this session and you want to have this life that I've been talking about, you want to be born again, you want to experience, to have Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. I, I want to tell you that He, Jesus Christ, He died for my sins and for your sins. And He, the only thing that you need to do right there, that you are... Uh, you are supposed to do is to receive that sacrifice by faith. Jesus Christ has done everything. The, the most difficult part is done. The only thing you need to do that is receive that sacrifice and receive it with faith. So if you want to do that now, I invite you to say this prayer with me together to the Heavenly Father. Uh, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your Son. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that on that cross, He died for my sins. He was buried. And He was raised back to life from the dead. Right now I proclaim with faith in my heart Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of my life. And I receive right now your love, the forgiveness of sins. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for your eternal goodness and mercy and love in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so wonderful. Praise God. The Bible says that right now, the Bible says that if we, if we confess with our mouth Jesus Christ as Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that we are saved. You are saved right now if you made that prayer with faith in your heart. For with the heart, Romans 10, 9, 9 and 10 says, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. You may already feel the joy of the Holy Spirit in you and the the life of God has, has taken residence in you right now. You have the eternal life I've been talking about. You have Jesus Christ in you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Praise the Lord. He is so good. And I invite you to find the church, find the body of believers and grow in the Word, grow in, in Christ. And ultimately, I want to say that 
any of you, if you have a question from the Bible or from this session, something that you didn't understand, I encourage you, or a problem, a sickness in your body, a problem in your marriage, in your finances, with your children, at work, anything, and where you need prayer, I encourage you to contact us at contact uh, at edwardsereduke.org. Contact, uh, contact us at this email address that I put on the screen, contact at edwardsereduke.org or send us a simple message from the website at the contact section, general inquiry, and my wife and I will take time to pray for you. And if you ever are in the area of Irvine, California, where we live right now, I invite you to send us a message and we can even meet and have fellowship in the Lord and pray for each other. Until we meet again in the next session, may God bless you and fill you with His Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.